And so I wonder this morning, as you've walked the doors of the church, if you become a little apathetic, if you, you, you're spiritually anemic right now and you're, you're going through the motions, you've showed up to the house of God and you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're opening your Bible and all of those many things, but you're, you're kind of just going through the motions. You're not living out the Christian life the way the Lord intended it to be lived out. And that might be you this morning. And maybe this morning as you hold the Word of God, you understand just how precious that book is. Over in other parts of the, the world, there are people who just want to get one page of this book right here. I remember listening to a, a message by a man, and as he was preaching, he was talking about going over to, uh, to uh, China, and he was getting into some of the underground churches. And as he told the church that night to, to open their Bibles, he was a guest preacher, the church opened their Bibles, and he remembers looking at some of the people having Bibles and some not. And there was a lady who had her Bible in her hand, but she handed the Bible to another individual. At the end of the service, that man went, and as he was talking to her, he asked her the question, Why did you not have the Bible yourself? Why did you hand it off? And she said, Because we have to hide our Bibles so much anyways that I have begun the habit of trying to memorize the scripture as much as I can. And I'd already memorized that passage of scripture. So I thought they could be more useful in their hands. And in many parts of the world, there are people who are trying to get their hands on the word of God. And we just kind of flippantly take it and we open it and we sit there and we might even have three or four in our, in our, in our houses right this very moment. And I begin to think about how apathetic sometimes we become to some of these things. And I'm praying this morning in our nation, in our churches, that God would drive us back to our knees. You see, we've become too comfortable in things. I began to think about just even the last year of, of being on this property. I wonder if since September when we moved into this property, if we've already become a little comfortable in some areas. We've already been sitting in our same seat and in our same padded chairs and we, we come and we know the order of service and we know what's going to take place and we know the word of God is going to be preached and we become casual and very comfortable in some of those things. And the Lord all the while is trying to break up that fallow ground and he's trying to stir us up and he's trying to do something. But we come in in such a way sometimes where we just sit in our seats and we say, all right, let's see what the preacher is going to preach today. And I think that's the, the biggest problem with much of America right this very moment is we're too consumed with what the preacher has to say and not what God has to say. Can I share with you, if you've come to the house of God this morning and wondering what does Josh Farmer have to say this morning, you've come with the wrong expectation because I pray you don't hear anything that Josh Farmer has to say, but you only hear what God wants you to hear this morning. Because it's not about me, it's all about Him. And as we approach the house of God and we approach the things of God, I believe that the more we get into this book right here, we'll see just how awful we are and it'll drive us back to our knees in prayer. You see, circumstances have a great way of driving people to their knees. Problems have a great way of driving people to their knees. Situations that are awkward, uncomfortable, not pleasant have a great way of driving people back to their knees. Far too often, we don't like driving ourselves to our knees or being driven to our knees because being driven to our knees means we have to confront the issue at hand. Sometimes it's a sin issue. Sometimes it's a problem that we want to take into our own hands and God says it was never meant for you to take into your own hands. 
Sometimes it's a circumstance that we're a little out of our comfort zone. And we say, Lord, I like to just stick into my bubble. And God says, I'm about to pop that bubble. It's not about what you want. It's about what I want. And all the while, you begin to think about many passages of Scripture and people being driven to their knees. Think about David for a moment. David was driven to his knees many times in Scripture. Sometimes it was because of a sin he had committed. Sometimes he had such a burden on him. Think about Daniel for a moment. Daniel, the news is brought to Daniel that, hey, you're not allowed to pray anymore. What does he do? He goes and he gets on his knees. He opens his windows and starts praying. Oh, I can't pray anymore. Watch this. You know, that's exactly what he does. Driven to his knees. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, mocked and ridiculed, not listened to, driven to his knees many times. As you walk through Scripture, you'll find that there are people that were driven to their knees and we can relate to certain situations. We can read their stories. We can look at all of these many passages and say, man, what was it that drove them to their knees? Notice in the book of Nehemiah, the first four verses here, the Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Now, this word affliction speaks of great misery and calamity, if you would. They weren't just whining. No, they were, they were hurting. They weren't just complaining. No, they were in great affliction. The calamity was great. The heartbreak was great. Great. The misery was present. All of that was taking place. The Bible goes on and uses the word reproach, which speaks of to taunt or to disgrace or to scorn, if you would. There were many days that they would walk out and they would be mocked and ridiculed and laughed at and made fun of. And this wasn't an easy situation for them. Verse number three, the Bible says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captive there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem also are is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. These news are brought to Nehemiah. Uh, not a very pleasant situation, not a circumstance you would want to find yourself in, nor those that you cared about and loved would you want to find them in that situation. Imagine for just a moment that you are out of the, the, the state for a few moments. And all of a sudden, you, you receive news because you're out of the state, you're out of the country, that hey, something has happened to your home front, your family is in dire need, there, there's hurting people, something has happened. Imagine for just a moment the pain in that second. You've received the news, and what do you want to do? You want to be there, but you can't be there. You want to, to be there to rescue them, to help them, to provide the, the, the comfort that they need in that moment, but you're not able to be. You can imagine the heartbreak here. Nehemiah receives the news, and not only is Nehemiah, uh, his heart is broken over the, the conditions of the people, but I imagine he's thinking about all of what is taking place and how that he can't even fathom what they've gone through. Now, to their fault, they had plenty of time to build these walls. We'll address that here in a little while. They chose not to. Later on in Scripture, you'll find that once they put their mind to it, it only took them 52 days to do what they should have been already done. And our lives are like walls sometimes. 
And as you begin to think about the walls of our lives, if we don't properly care for those walls, then we are neglecting those walls, and you can rest assured the devil is going to try to break through. The enemy is going to try to destroy. And as you begin to think about those walls being broken through and the the neglecting of the right things and placing priority where it needed to be placed, that is exactly what is going through Nehemiah's mind. And so what does he do? In verse number four, the Bible tells us that he was driven to his knees. As the Bible says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. I want you to picture this for just a moment. Nehemiah has received the news. And as Nehemiah receives the news, the only things that he can do. I think about someone who is (coughs) receiving news of a loved one that they have just held near and dear to them for years. And uh, being able to care for them, spend time with them. While we were back in Georgia a couple of weeks ago preaching, Miss Kelly and Miss Jessie's grandpa and grandma, Mima and Papa, are getting older in years and their health is not what it once was. We were preparing for the Sunday morning service and I remember getting to Sunday school and the Sunday morning service and and Kelly's meemaw came to us and said, hey, Paul Paul's not going to be able to be here this morning. He, he just physically can't get himself up. As I began to think about this message, I began to think about Nehemiah receiving those news. And the Bible tells us in verse number four, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. I imagine that Nehemiah, as he is getting these words, the only thing he knows to do is he sits down. He doesn't respond. He just sits. He begins to, to weep over this. As he's sitting there, the Bible says, and mourned certain days. This wasn't just a few days. All of the mourning that Nehemiah was giving to this situation took a while, if you would. It wasn't like Nehemiah received the news on Tuesday and Friday. He was back to normal and everything was okay. No, it was months that he was going through all of this. He was having to bear the burden. The only thing that he can do is he just has to sit. He doesn't respond. He doesn't ask any questions. He just receives the news. And the only thing that he knows to do is just sit there. You ever received news before? You ever been put in a situation before? You ever realize how bad it had gotten without realizing how bad it had gotten? And you're looking at it and you're saying, is there even any more hope? A month or two ago, back in January, there was a young couple that showed up. I've talked to them a couple of times. They're doing great. They've just recently deployed. I remember them coming in. We were having the choir clinic, and they come in, and I'm in the auditorium at the time, and Miss Kelly is in the foyer, and there's a young couple that comes in and says, is there a preacher or someone that we can talk to? Miss Kelly said, well, I'm the pastor's wife. Let me go grab my husband, and we'll, we'll meet with you in just a second. And I remember in that second right there, as they came and got me, that man is looking. He says, do you have a few minutes to talk? We went into this room, this building over here. We sat down at a table. And as we were talking for a few moments, they began to ask the question, is there any hope? They were going through a situation. They were battling what we would say are not pleasant circumstances. He woke up that day and As the circumstances, the news came to them, they said the only place we knew to turn was to go to church and find someone that we could talk to. Now, let me just for a second say this. There's a lot of Looney Tune churches in our area. 
So I'm glad that they walked through the doors of Gateway Baptist Church and that we were able to show them from God's Word as they asked the question, is there hope? That, oh, is there hope? Absolutely. And His name is Jesus Christ. And they began to pray together. And they began to read God's Word together. And they began to show up to the house of God. They began to talk to people. And, and then I receive a text message saying, we're doing great. Thank you for telling me the only thing we needed to hear was that there is hope. His name is Jesus. I remember standing up here on the very front over here and having a conversation. And Brother Zach came to me and said, hey, just want to let you know someone is waiting for you. And then someone else came to me and said, hey, just want to let you know someone is waiting for you. And I turned and I saw him. And he had been waiting there 15 to 20 minutes. And as he was waiting there, I remember as I walked over to him. Stand up for this moment, Jonathan. As I walked over to him, he just wanted to give me a hug. Now look, I enjoy hugs. They're awesome. Come on now. I enjoy hugs. You always have that that awkward one, right? Whenever you're walking up to someone and someone goes in the hug and you're kind of like, and then you're like, you know, like this right here. And you look like a child, you know. You're shaking their hand, but now your head's resting on their shoulder. A little awkward. It wasn't like that. I knew that he was going for the hug, and so we got a good bear hug in. With tears in his eyes, I said, man, how are you, man? It's good to see you on a Wednesday. They weren't in church. They were struggling. The last place they wanted to be at that time, because of all of what they were doing and what they were going through, was being in the house of God with people that they don't know. With tears in his eyes, he said, we're doing great. The Lord is working through the situation, and they're doing even better. I texted him just the other day, just to check on him. He said, we're doing good. I asked him in that conversation, we sat down, I said, where is the Lord in y'all's relationship? Where's he at? Does he have preeminence in your marriage? Does he have preeminence in your life? Does he have preeminence in your life? Where, where does the Lord fall into all these things? Where, where does the Word of God and prayer and the house of God, where do the things that are truly priority fall into place? And they just began to elaborate. Nowhere to be found. But they knew that. And just like that, on a Saturday morning, they woke up and their circumstances had driven them to their knees. With tears in their eyes, they asked the question, is there any hope? Nehemiah receives the news. As he receives the news, all he does is sits down. The Bible tells us in chapter number 1, verse number 4, he mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Fasting speaks of something that is very serious, if you would. You see, if you don't have something that you need God to do, you're not even thinking about fasting. If you're not serious about God answering this prayer, then you're not even considering fasting because it takes a lot of energy out of you. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of diligence. It takes something that you naturally cannot do yourself. And you need God to work. And so we see that Nehemiah was driven to his knees. The first thing we see is that these circumstances drove him to his knees. I wonder this morning, if you've come to the house of God and your circumstances, that situation, whatever you're facing has driven you to your knees and you're asking, God, is there any hope? Well, I have a, an answer for you. In the book of Nehemiah, we find that Nehemiah understood that the circumstances were bad, but his God was great. And Nehemiah understood, hey, though the circumstances might be bad and I'm driven to my knees, God, I need you to answer. Nehemiah understood the only one that could handle the situation was not Nehemiah. It was not the people, but it was the Lord. 
In chapter number 2, you find that Nehemiah is approached and as the, the king of the palace is asking him, hey, he says, your countenance has never been like this before. What's going on? Nehemiah doesn't respond to the king first. Nehemiah in that moment understands this might be God's opportunity for me to ask him, well, what would you have for me? He understood that the, the circumstances were bad, that it was not pleasant, but he knew that God was going to take care of those things, but he was driven to his knees. You ever been in that situation where you can truly say, I just don't think people understand. And in those moments where you're saying, I just don't think people understand, don't fall into the trap that Satan wants you to believe that God also doesn't understand. Because God understands. He's there. As we are driven to our knees, the Lord desires that as we are given these circumstances that might not be pleasant, this problem is presented, the trial is getting heavy, the burden is weighing on us, that though all of those things are not what we would choose and we're driven to our knees, there is a God in heaven who desires to hear from his children. I love that statement in the book of Daniel. There is a God. I love that. I love to think about the circumstances of our lives and the problems that we face. And as we're listening to testimony sometimes, someone will say, I was going through this and I was facing this, but God. Yesterday I was watching basketball for a little while and preparing for Sunday. And, and I was I jumped on social media to make a post real quick. And as I jumped on, there was a video that was posted. Some family that we went back uh, to in, in, in Indiana, we went to church with back there. And a young lady posted a video, and it's a video of a young lady who is speaking. And in this video, the young lady was talking about her, her life before she had gotten saved. And she had given herself to immorality. She had given herself to drugs and alcohol and all of these many things. And she had, she had begun doing things that really, as a young person, she should not have been doing. And for hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months, she had just been given to all of these many things. And she began to talk about how she was trying to get into a a serious relationship. And she said, infidelity tore that relationship apart. She said, I have been trying and trying and trying. I thought, man, what what am I going through? And she is elaborating on all this. She says... The very next day, the only thing that I knew to do was go back to that lifestyle. And so she went back to that lifestyle. She was empty. She was searching for hope and answers and help and comfort and all these many things. She was just, she just broken. She said, every single day, I just was hurting. And she said, but I did not realize that God had been planting a seed in my heart by conversations I was having with people. She was invited to a young adult conference, and at that young adult conference, she ended up accepting Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she went on to talk about, in that moment, she began to not only realize the Lord had a plan for her, but she grew up in a home that was very difficult. The home was not put together. There was a lot of hate in the home, a lot of anger in the home, a lot of problems in the home. She said, all of a sudden, after that, the Lord began to work in my family's life as well. Her parents ended up getting saved. Her home was being put back together. And she made this statement. She said, I have come to the place in my life 
Where because of all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the, the trials of this and that, I have come to a place where I have made the decision that I know there's a man out there that the Lord would have for me to marry one day. Because of all of what God's word has to say, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying for him and that the very first time that we ever experience anything will be the moment that we get married. She began to elaborate. She said, that is not normal for me because of everything that I used to do and everything that I grew up in. She said, but the love of Christ has changed me. Can I share with you, circumstances have a funny way of driving us to our knees. As we're driven to our knees and we're confronted with our problems, when we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted with the the situation at hand, the only thing that we can do is plead with a holy and righteous God, Lord, take this situation in hand. Sunday school this morning, we were in Psalm 51 for just a moment. And in Psalm 51, many of you know the sin of Bathsheba and David's situation there. And in chapter number 51 of Psalm 51, in the first couple of verses, David goes on to say, My sin is ever before me. It's as though I were to take one of these choir notebooks and I were to begin to lay all of the papers out on the platform. And I were to bring you in and I were to say, This is your sin. David begins to acknowledge against thee and thee only have I sinned. Driven to his knees, broken in that moment, but a turning point in in David's life. On a Wednesday night a couple of months ago, we were in Psalm 51, and I made this statement, and I truly believe it to be true. That in some of the most difficult and uncertain circumstances, in some of the hardest seasons of our lives, it's in those moments that God does His greatest and deepest work in our lives to bring us to where He would have for us to be. As you think about that situation in David's life, it wasn't pleasant, it wasn't good, it was was not something that you would brag about. But the David at the beginning of Psalm 51 and the David at the end of Psalm 51 are two different Davids. Can I share with you, your circumstances, though they might drive you to your knees, as you're driven to your knees, as you come to the Lord in prayer on your knees, you're one way. When you come out of that on the other side, God has shown himself faithful, and God has shown you that, hey, whatever you're facing, I will bring you through, and you have a little bit of a different perspective on things. Circumstances drove drove Nehemiah to his knees. Number two, a broken heart drove him to his knees. For just a few moments, go with me, if you would, to the book of Lamentations. Because in the book of Lamentations, you're introduced to a man by the name of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter, I mean, in Lamentations chapter number one, Jeremiah begins to give us some insight into how his heart is just completely broken. Think about it for just a moment. Talking, talking. And talking and sharing advice and counsel and wisdom and guidance and direction and never being heard. Never once that counsel, that that guidance being taken. Nehemiah, I mean, Jeremiah went through it. Notice the Bible says, Lamentations 1, how doth the city sit solitary? That was full of people. How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces. How has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Verse number 16. For these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water. 
because the comforter that should relieve my soul was far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Verse number 20. Behold, O Lord, I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My heart is turned within me. For I have grievously rebelled. Brought the sword, grieveth. At home there is as death. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. Verse number 11, chapter number 2. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth. You go on and on. Chapter number 3, verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction. You talk about a broken heart. You go to the book of Ezra. Ezra's got a broken heart because as he is seeing the sin of the people, he's astonished by it. You ever been in a situation, maybe those of you who have kids, you know your kids know what they're supposed to do, but in this situation they do the complete opposite, and you're actually genuinely astonished that they would actually do that. Not only because they're going against what you have taught them and what they know to do is right, but because it is one of those situations where you just stand there and you say, that is, that is so dumb. But like genuinely you're thinking, I, I legitimately don't have words for this right now. Like it is, it is just what? You know, you just don't know what to say. You're astonished. Ezra is in chapter number 7 and chapter number 9 of the book of Ezra. In verses 3 and 4, you find that he begins to use the word astonished, speaking of being astonished. And he is astonished at the sin of the people that is present. If you were to walk into Gateway Baptist Church two years from now, let's just say sin is running rampant in the church. Not only is it running rampant, but it's welcomed it's active. Uh, it's not necessarily something that's preached on any longer. It's tolerated. And you walk in the church and you're sitting there and you sit there and you say, uh, this is not the Gateway Baptist Church that I, I left. What's happened? Ezra is astonished. He is looking at everything and he is saying, Wow. Seriously? Broken heart. Jeremiah, a broken heart. Nehemiah, a broken heart. Habakkuk, a broken heart. Driven to their knees. Number three, we see this. Sin drove him to his knees. Go with me as we wrap it up this morning. In the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, I love this example that we see in Scripture. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 5. And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments, let now, or let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, notice this, we have sinned. In verse number 7, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. Sin drove him to his knees. One of the things that we find to be true, and this is the case in Nehemiah, is Nehemiah knew the problem, he knew the solution, but first he had to address that he was a part of the problem. 
Brother John and I have talked about this many, many times. I believe it's an incomplete statement, but I get what they're saying, that everything rises and falls on leadership. To me, it's an incomplete statement, but it's for another day. I get the point that's trying to be made, that leadership has to make sure that things are going the way they're supposed to be going, that things are being done the right way. I get that. Nehemiah understands the problem and the situation that is presented. And Nehemiah doesn't just look at the people and say, look what these, look what these jokers have done. Uh, they have plenty of time and they neglected all of these things. And they didn't do what they're supposed to Look what they have done. No, Nehemiah recognizes just as much of a sinner as they are. I'm a sinner. Lord, we have dealt corruptly with you. See, we love to point out each other's sin. Lannon, you've got some sin. I'm going to point all those out. I'm going to, Lord, you need to deal with him. Jerry Frosty, you've got, you've got some, I'm going to point all of your sin out. Zach Newman, I'm going to point all, I mean, I could go around. We, we like to point each other's sin out. And Nehemiah had every right to do so here. Look what they have done. Look what they have neglected. Lord, they have gotten themselves in this situation, but his heart is broken. And as he addresses the Lord and he goes before the Lord, he acknowledges how holy and righteous God is. And then he says this in verse number five. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against. Sin will drive us to our knees because you see, the Bible tells us that sin is only pleasurable for a season. This morning, for sake of time, I had an illustration, but I'll just tell you the illustration for just a moment. I've got this stuff, so if you want to give it a shot, come and see me after the service. I have three different types of honey out in my Jeep. One of them is a normal honey. You see, sin, it tastes good. It's pleasurable for a little while. The second one is honey that's infused with chilies. I was going to have Brother Zach come up here and take a, a spoonful of the first chili. It tastes good. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh, this is great. I was going to have him another spoon with the other uh, honey that has the chilies infused with it. And he'd take another. And all of a sudden, that mouth would begin to get a little hot. He's, th- he's thanking the Lord that the illustration is not taking place right now. <laughs> I texted him last night. I said, do you like chocolate milk? Do you like regular milk? Or do you like water? <clears throat> then the third honey is extra, extra hot chilies infused in honey. And I'd have this milk over here representing what he knows to be right, what would cure, if you would, getting right with God, making sure that he addresses his sin issue, but in his mouth, those chilies would just be eating his mouth alive. I had Noah and Miss Kelly give it a shot last night for trial. I had to test it. I can't taste, you know, right now because my allergies and all that, so I said, it's, it's up to y'all. But we don't realize sometimes that when we give ourselves to sin, Oh, it tastes pleasant for a season. Then all of a sudden it gets worse and worse. And we know what is right. We know how to deal with it. But we stand away and we say, I don't want to. Until a day comes when you're driven to your knees. I got a phone call just the other day from a, I'm not going to say, live right this moment, but from an individual who 
He's in the military, and they were sharing with me that there was somebody that they had been working with and trying to help. And anyway, long story short, they had a great conversation one night, and this one individual was given to drinking and was, an, uh, you know, giving themselves to drinking so much that they'd become an alcoholic, and they were trying to drown out all their woes and all this. Anyways, th- th- there came a time when they got back from the training. They were at home, and uh, late one night, this one individual got a phone call from that one who was an alcoholic and said, hey, Will you drive me to rehab? Can I share with you what happened? The circumstances got so bad, so out of hand, they didn't know where else to turn. Can I share with you, when you're driven to your knees, whether it is circumstances, whether it is a broken heart, whether it is sin, or fourthly, whether it is a burden, The only person that can fix those circumstances is God Almighty. Can I ask you this question? How many times this past week have you griped about your circumstances, the state of the country, the circumstances that you are experiencing, the circumstances of another person, the situation, the problems that are presented? How many times have you griped about that this week? Let me ask you another question. How many times have you taken it to prayer and got on your knees and said, God, you have to do the work? And see, Nehemiah understood the circumstances and the problem and all of that. And so in verse number 11, we close with this as he says this, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. He closes out with reverence. O Lord, I beseech thee. Chapter number one, you see much reverence. You see the circumstances presented. He's driven to his knees. The broken heart in the midst of all, driven to his knees. The burden that he has for the people in the situation, driven to his knees. The sin that he confesses, driving him to his knees. And I wonder this morning, when was the last time that we were driven to our knees? As you leave this place tonight, or this morning, my prayer is that the Lord would drive us to our knees, and that He would do it often. We've lost our tears, and we've become a people that complain and gripe and fuss about everything. God says, hey, all that fussing ain't going to fix it. Just like a child coming in and all they're doing is griping and complaining. This morning we were getting ready for church. And as we were as we were getting ready for church, as we were getting Devil always trying to get in things. LMA. Anyone know LMA? (laughs) Tell you what. Just like a child waking up. Jackson got up this morning. Jackson said, as he was getting up, I just want five more minutes. <laughs> Griping and complaining. The sad reality is that there's going to come a day when at the end of our lives, we're going to look back and we're going to say, I just wanted five more minutes. Lord, I wanted to do more. Lord, I wanted to accomplish more. So I wonder, this morning, we need to be driven back to our knees. If we need to go, we need to find ourselves right this very moment saying, Lord, 
My circumstances aren't pleasant. My sin is ever before me. My burden is heavy. My broken heart is there. Lord, you're the only one that can fix it. Lord, we do thank you this morning. I pray that you would help us and guide us and direct us. Lord, that you would show us what you have for us. Drive us to our knees. Because we need you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of the sin that's in our lives. The circumstances that are unpleasant. The burden that is heavy. The broken heart that is present. Drive us to our knees, every single one of us. And help us, Lord, as we seek for hope to find it in you. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.